You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. You know, where, there I was, this uh, thing comes out, Lollapalooza, I put together local Palooza. I do it for a few years. First year, a thousand kids show up. Second year, 2,500. Third year, 4,500. I get a cease and desist order from Perry Farrell and James Addiction. You know, it's all these joy- lawyers' names on it saying- Is it framed on your wall? <laughs> yeah. We own the Palooza trademark. You can't use it anymore. So instead of crying- I went, Yahoo, I've made it. I'm getting sued. (laughs) And I decided, well, I got to keep going on. This thing's got momentum. So I decided to change the name to something close enough, but would be my own, which was the amazing. And this was the shirt for, of course, Benny has it. Loco Bazooka. Hi, my name's Benny Goodman, and you're listening to 2020. We are a podcast because we are really a band, but we can't make money as a band. And I don't even know if we're making money as a podcast, but we're trying. So go to 2020-d.com and, and subscribe because it's basically like me putting out my hand on the side of the street and saying, hey, I know you won't buy my music, but here's me. You can also buy a t-shirt with our faces on it, which is super weird, but that's pretty From cool. Paul Lorenzo, <laughs> yeah. our drummer. Yeah, right. But... All of that said, today is an episode with one of the craziest fucking people, as you just saw on that clip, on the planet. And I I don't think there's much more that needs to be said other than this man is something. Dan Hartwell. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. I actually introduced it this time. I feel like sometimes we don't do that. I'm Benny Goodman. <laughs> I'm here with my cohorts as we've deemed it and trademarked it and and, and lots of other things which patent pending. Um, I'm here with Siobhan Cronin. Hey, always full of hyperbole, Ben. Hyperbole. <laughs> hyperbole is for horses and cows, just like, hey. And then Corey Peza. <laughs> What's going on? And then on our dais is an old dear friend of mine, and he's not old or dear, but um, he's a great guy. He actually was very integral in the Boston music scene as myself and Corey were growing up, but also is just an entrepreneur. He's a, a, a life coach, a, a health coach, like just a fucking nut, and I love him. Dan Hartwell. Hey, what's happening? So happy to be here. So happy Woo. to be here. All right. So just to give some people some background, Dan Hartwell, when I was growing up in Worcester, Massachusetts, listening to WAAF, which was the rock station, besides WBCN, um, put on a show, which I wore my shirt, actually. Logo Bazooka. Okay. Look at that. Which was originally huh? uh, Local Palooza, which we'll get into, but it was changed to Local Bazooka for 
um, reasons Perry Farrell related because of Lollapalooza. Um, but Dan gave people where, where everyone wonders, like, is there a linear method to getting in front of people and being seen and being heard on the radio and all of that? Nowadays, it's not so clear. But when I was a teenager, there was a way to do it. And his name was Dan Hartwell. And he had this great methodology where he put on a giant festival with some of the biggest bands in the world and let local bands duke it out uh, with their talent, with, um, you know, building their business savvy. And basically, it was a battle of the bands constantly in Boston to see who can get on what stage at this festival. And it, if you got on and you got a good time slot and you really did your due diligence, you could have made money, you could sell your merch, you can get signed. I got signed. And play in front of 20,000 plus people. At a time when the music industry was thriving, before Rome was burning. <laughs> so you have to understand that Dan uh, started something where it was basically, you have to buy tickets at a lower price to get on the show. But if you get on the show, one, if you sell your tickets, you'll make a lot of money. Two, you have a lot of opportunity to get exposure, which everyone knows exposure is a double-edged sword. But this is real exposure because... Three, you have the potential to play in front of 20, 25,000 people. In fact, I have pictures of myself uh, playing with crowds as far as the eye can see at Dan's festivals. So, Dan, how did this come about? Hey, well, geez, thanks for the uh, big buildup there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I-, I was in a band myself early on. I had a, uh, a stage named Danimal years as you know benny well and didn't van halen write a song wasn't you told me that when we saw van halen that david lee roth was singing that to us and i believe right that. He was, and, <laughs> and there was a reason for that and that's another story too i think he stole my girlfriend at one point not surprising but, he stole a lot of people's girlfriends dan rough, oh, yeah well you know um when I was in a band, I was a, a pretty good mu- promoter myself. First, I was a drummer. And it's funny because you had Steve Stevens on uh, last time, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. We love Steve. And, and Steve Stevens, I had met him in 1982, just to give you a short story about that. Did he look and, exactly the same? I mean, he looks exactly the same. Yeah, exactly oh, yeah. the same. The hair, like, I mean, the hair, maybe it's a different <laughs> shade of black now, like, like gone from, like, dark metal black to just, like, raven black. But it's Another close. person that doesn't age, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I met him, and, of course, I met Billy Idol. And Billy was, you know, on tour, and I got, it was the, we were the only opening act, and, you know, I scored some pretty good gigs, and it was at EM Lowe's in Worcester, Massachusetts, and, you know, got to hang out with Billy and, party pretty hard with him before we went on stage before he went on stage and uh it was you know i look back at it and i said boy that was such a freaky time but steve stevens was a good guy back then also but you know i got some good gigs with them i used to play with the joe perry project and uh i actually got to play with a uh, jim carroll band at one point jim carroll band legend those are people who died died right Maybe we should do a cover of that today. Maybe maybe we should. I mean, it's all relevant. It's coming back around. It's kind of crazy how some of these songs now have a whole new meaning to them and how these bands also 
because of what they wrote so long ago, have been resurging because of the craziness of these times. So the opportunity came around for me as I was transitioning from being a musician, um, a, a singer, uh, you know, a producer, you know, into a promoter where I ended up. Uh, I feel like you were always a promoter and that those were other things. But that first, just like a guy like Paul Geary, like maybe he was a drummer, but still always was like a manager first. Always. When I was a kid, I was eight years old and we used to put on backyard carnivals and spook houses where we put boxes together and we put i was putting up posters at eight years old saying carnival at hartwell house and people would be pitching you know dimes in the pie tin if they got it in they kept the dimes if they missed we kept them but you know i felt an opportunity where i was uh booking some classic rock bands at a fishing game club and you know Cool bands like uh, Blue Oyster Cult and Steppenwolf, Edgar Winter, Rick Derringer, and, you know, the classic bands that kind of went down. And it was around the late 80s and into 90. And so this I is like when those bands like were on their first downtick. Like, this is not like their legacy acts now. This is like when they had fallen at the <laughs> right. end of what was yeah, the yeah, time that everyone we were just saying while you were off that like it's funny how many of these artists existed during that time they're like yeah there was just cocaine in the 80s and then it's and then it's like you said that you partied with them and it's like what was going on can you tell us what was going on backstage because i know you're a healthy guy now but what the hell was going on backstage with you billy idol and steve stevens what what type of shenanigans well i mean you know i don't want to like you know be the, the rat on them but i, I think do <laughs> to say this i think you know it was early 80s and everybody was doing the uh the white powder the white everybody powder. yeah and it was you know sad to see because there was a bunch of people walking around like this i walk around like that anyway <laughs> right. that's your natural state ben <laughs> well he's the one that actually came up with the term that i make coffee nervous i use that all the time and in yeah, fact he, does. he said you could use that and i have used it <laughs> So thanks, Dan. So, anyway, um, it was 91 when Lollapalooza came out. And I said, oh, what a great idea. I'll put on uh, a bunch of my local friends' bands, and I'll call it Local Palooza, as you mentioned. And so I did it the first year. I think the first year I had Sam Black Church uh, maybe nice. headline. Uh, a great, great band back then. I had another uh, local Worcester band, Bonehead. I had a, a reggae band called The Tribulations. Um, a, a bunch of cool bands back then for uh, the New England. Well, Sam Black <laughs> Church in 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 the uh, the kind of hardcore like move. They're considered holy underground band. Like so, if you guys don't know who Sam Black Church is, maybe go YouTube, Google it because they're they they are a big deal. And it's when whenever they've reformed, it's been quite crazy. Yeah, they they kind of like the Fugazi of uh, the East Coast, you would think. I'd say that's a pretty accurate assessment. Yeah, and so um, there they, you know, where there I was. This uh, thing comes out, Lollapalooza. I put together local Palooza. I do it for a few years. First year, a thousand kids show up. Second year, twenty five hundred. Third year, 4,500. I get a cease and desist order from Perry Farrell and James Addiction. You know, it's all these joy lawyers' names on it saying, Is it framed on your wall? <laughs> yeah. We own the Palooza trademark. You can't use it anymore. So instead of crying 
I went, Yahoo, I've made it. I'm getting sued. <laughs> and I decided, well, I got to keep going on. This thing's got momentum. So I decided to change the name to something close enough, but would be my own, which was the amazing. And this was the shirt for, of course, Benny has it. Loco Bazooka. Okay. And so, and so thus Loco Bazooka comes out of the ashes. I've sent out press releases and uh, MTV carries it for a minute. Uh, Rolling Stone, Spin, and a few others. And I start to book it in Worcester, Massachusetts. And that's when about the time that I met Benny. So when you're putting together this festival, how did you find the bands or what, you know, what was your general idea of the structure of this sort of thing? Like, where did the idea of how to put this together come from? Well, I was already doing these, uh, what was called Danimals Jam Bashes. And I was running three or four different clubs already. And I was booking some of the bands. You were like the nighttime mayor of Worcester, Massachusetts, like which is where I'm from. But like, so everyone knows, like, remember when there used to be music scenes, Dan, and that like people were culturally diverse in towns and like you can get bands and like there were lots of bands to choose from. And in fact, at one point, Worcester in particular, but Boston was a breeding ground for really good bands. You had Godsmack, you had Stained. You know, obviously you have the classics like Aerosmith, The Cars, Boston themselves. But like, we had so many bands that when Dan was doing his thing, like you could go to any club on a Thursday, a Friday, Saturday night and see at least one good band where you're like, holy crap. Like it's so different. That seems like ancient history at this point. Ancient yeah. history. But like when you were doing it, like Dan was actually discovering bands. Like, you know, and you could go to, I remember going to Loco Bazooka and seeing new bands and going, holy shit, I need to go check out Drop 360. You know what I mean? I, I need to go check out, uh, you know, whatever band at that time, because they'd be playing before Limp Biscuit or playing before Disturbed. And you're like, wow, they're really good. I can't believe that. And you gave people that forum, Dan. And in fact, you coached people. Like, you helped the scene in a way where, like, again, you were booking nightclubs, but you also had like friends in the news. You ha you were all at every single concert had people that at were at the concerts you weren't at. So you were kind of like the ubiquitous Kevin Bacon between all <laughs> things music in Worcester, Massachusetts to be able to create this perfect storm to put on a mon like one of the biggest festivals in New England, like literally that's ever happened for what it is. Yep. It really was the biggest ongoing rock festival in New England ever. You know, hopefully someday someone can duplicate it. I, I wish that, you know, rock comes back in a big way and festivals come back in a bigger way. Anyway, the story goes where I had the opportunity to give young guys like you, Benny, and others the opportunity to get on stage. So I had to think of a way to be able to fund a way to put on these events so that I could uh, bring in a stage from Canada and bring in real sound systems and, and rent an area to put it on a park, a public park. Eventually, we were uh, shutting down airports, putting on big local bazooka festivals in airports. With and Dimebag Daryl. Right. And to like, think about No this, big deal. Just closing you know, down an airport, St. Dime showing up. Hey, Dad, getting your pull on? And then going on stage just happens. Just want but to put that out there. Me to give the opportunity for some 16, 17 year olds to be on stage 
at, you know, 11, 12, one o'clock in the afternoon in front of 20,000 people playing in front of, you know, shine down and disturbed and stained and Godsmack and Alice Cooper and, um, <laughs> geez, um, Black Sabbath with Dio singing, Heaven and Hell, on and on and on, all the bands that ended up playing. But to on and on, it's heaven and hell. <laughs> Uh, but imagine, it goes on and on. <laughs> I never had the opportunity when I was that young to play in front of those giant crowds. So I was able to give the opportunity to others. So Dan, let's go back a little bit. So am I, I'm sure I can say this because you look great. I know that you're like very well and healthy and you're always in great shape and like, look at the hair. Like it's pretty obvious. Like, and I don't even want to tell them how old you are. Like, it's crazy. Like you, you really are like the dude. That's the example. But back in the day, you liked, you liked the crazy shit. Like you liked to get oh fucking God. high, like really, yeah. really high. That's why they called you Danimal, dude. Because it was like you, but on drugs. And when people came to Worcester, like Alice and Chains, right? Who partied with them? You. Well, Alice and Chains was opening for Van Halen. And they came, you know, down from the stage and said, hey, we want someone to show us around town. And that's you. They ended up staying over my place and sleeping on the floor for a week. And for they a came week, for a week. And I, I'll never forget Lane Staley. This was, you know, early 90s, handing me a CD, which were new back then, saying, you got to listen to this. My friend's band Nirvana. And uh, we're, wow. We, we were supposed to go see Pearl Jam at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in Rhode Island, but we're going to hang out and see your Halloween show, which I had put together the Flying Danimal Brothers, and I was playing in four different clubs with an entourage of people following me around. And, of course, Alice in Chains was there, so they just got... I had two limos with me and, like, six, 60 cards following me. This is what and I mean. You were the they, mayor of Worcester, dude, because every time I saw you <laughs> anywhere, like, there was another guy named Dickie Pilati. All right. And then there was Dan Hartwell. And whenever these guys showed up anywhere, everyone was like, kiss the ring. Like, you were the ring kisser guy, but you were always super nice. But like, I'd see you and you show up and you always looked good. You always had a beautiful woman by your side. And then like, you'd be getting out of a limo and everyone would be like, oh my God, Dan Hartwell's here. And, and, and it was kind of like smoke and like the Darth Vader walk. And then you come in and then <laughs> so and, and, and at some point. I got to a point where I felt cool, like where I had kissed the ring enough, where you'd then be like, and here's a backstage pass. Don't forget there was a famous Bruce Mittman. He, now people were I'm kissing still friends with Bruce. Of course. Bruce, Great guy. Bruce, uh, we had Ernie Bach on not too long ago, and Bruce, I mean, Bruce and Ernie are like two peas in a pot. <laughs> so, Ben, you so, derailed the, the conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry. I do, that's what I do, Dan, by the way. I, I am known to derail. So, Siobhan, yeah, why don't you put us back on? No, feel free to pick up where you left off. With Alice in Chains, they came out. I was on stage. I said, hey, I got some special guests here. And, you know, no one really knew who they were yet. Uh, Man in the Box was just breaking. They got on stage, started playing. And Lane said, we can't sing this song without Danimal. And, you know, I got it on video somewhere where, you know, I'm singing Man in a Box. Can, can you try to find it? Because we would love to roll it for B-roll. Because, for, for <laughs> I mean, Dan, I you've been telling me about this since, like, 1999. I feel like I need to see it now. 1899. Yeah, I know. Well, I could, but you're being cryogenically frozen by, like, taking care of yourself, running on the beach every morning, proper fitness, 
Like, that's the other thing. So <laughs> when I met Danny, he's like, I used to do drugs and all this crazy shit. I don't do any of that now. And like, he's always getting, and every time I saw him, he'd just get bigger, bigger, and like, he'd be tan, like, and, and it just, and, but it's because, not because he's going in a tanning booth, because he's running at five o'clock in the morning on the beach, having a blast. And if you follow you on Facebook, I can't even keep up with you, dude. It's literally like you're just the happiest dude running down the beach in Florida telling people to stay healthy, but that's literally what you're doing. Well, thank you. That That is, you know, my thing. I, I so much believe in health and wellness today and sharing that with everybody else. All my friends here say I'm a cross between Peter Pan and a vampire. <laughs> you know? And Probably like, what pretty accurate. Now, I go back to, you know, Boston and Worcester and they're like, what happened to you? How come we look like great grandfathers and you don't? And I have to explain, listen, hey, I don't drink, I don't drug, I don't smoke, I run, I bike, I hike, I, you know, do everything. Psych. Right? I dike. Yeah. <laughs> In your mind. Me too. <laughs> I so, go through that scenario all the time. And, and I look at him and I say, here you are, you know, sitting on the same bar stool with a Budweiser in one hand and a, a Marlboro in the other. But I mean, it, the thing is, it's time for everybody to understand health and wellness now anyway. I think it's a sad situation. We don't want to get into a big COVID story, but the whole thing of everyone wants to be healthy now because of COVID. How about being healthy anyway? Some of my best friends are the most wealthiest men in the graveyard, in the graveyard. And they just never stopped drinking, drugging, smoking, you know? Yeah. And so I did. Anyway, back to rock and roll. <laughs> I've had a great career with it. Loco Bazooka blew up. I ended up doing it at the Tweeter Center, Great Woods, whatever it's called now. Had some great it's always Great Woods, Dan. It will always be Great Woods. Fuck the Tweeter Center. Fuck whatever the else they call the Bank of America. But it's literally the Tweeter Center and Harbor Lights. That's what they are. I don't care. Or the hat shell, whatever. Fuck it. Right. And so I moved on. I ended up selling, uh, you know, my entertainment company and uh, got bought into by the third largest producer promoter at the time. Then he moved it and, and some things happened with the event. Which at that point, I, I basically said, hey, that's cool. I'm going to go. Well, do can we talk about that for a second? Because I know the event you're talking about, because I always tell people when I refer to this event was when I think myself and a lot of people that were large in the music industry saw that Rome was burning because you had something you had a, a show put together called Rock the Ink that should have been a slam dunk. Like you had great, great, great bands. It was like Godsmack and Seven Dust and Badfish and Brett Michaels when he was like at his height of popularity and like just a lot. Of, and they had tat. You got tattoo people like um, you know the guys from L.A. Inc. and a lot of people. Alex Gray, who did all the Tool covers, was there doing his Obama picture. He was there painting the Obama picture that like sold for like ten billion dollars. Alex Gray was there hanging out, just chilling. And you did this festival. But it didn't sell very well. Like it sold way no. less. And I, I remember everybody all of a sudden, uh, like in the back room, going from everyone, from like handing Joe Perry a backstage pass and being, here you go, sir, to hearing people yelling, going, like, you know, where's the money? Where are the people? Like, what happened? This is your fault. This is your fault. When the music industry just imploded. 
and no one knew about it and the dinosaurs are going caca caca <laughs> okay ben well let's let him tell the story i, I got lost well, in the I'm chronology setting it up here because i didn't know if he was gonna say it <laughs> setting it that's up how i perceived it. it it wasn't that one but but i ended up selling it uh to someone else where really you know at that point i changed my life and said i'm selling everything in, in massachusetts and i moved down to florida so once i got down to here in 2009 i said all right i'll put on another festival and so I put on a festival and, and Rome was burning, Benny, you're right. And I put it on with the biggest radio station here in South Florida, which was The Buzz. And they were a great station. They were a lot like WAAF. And as I'm putting this thing on, um, we had Mudvayne headlining um, and all these other great bands. It was a two-day festival. You could camp. And it, it sold okay. And it was at a racetrack. But, you know, I kind of looked and went, wow, I got away with this. We called it Loco Fest at that point. And it was hard to sell tickets. Now, right then in 2009, don't forget, the indicators for the worst economy ever were happening. You know, 2008, 2009 was the worst. You know, luckily we came out with our shirts on. You know, I'll take my shirt off. How's that? That's <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. We were waiting for Paulie to do it again, but it, yeah. it took us to get to right. Dan Hartwell. All right. So there I was. You know, there he I was. didn't lose my shirt. All right. Oh, my. I didn't lose my shit either. And so, you know, I was able to put it on. But man, I took some years off. And like I, I did, I, I became a health coach and a positive living specialist and really learned how to, uh, you know, share my positivity out there. But one day, one day I'm out on the beach a few years ago now, about five years ago, and I'm, I never sleep during the day, ever. And somehow I went for a run down the beach. I usually run with five pound weights in my hands. And I pass out on the beach. I just lay down and say, I'm going to take a nap. I mean, anyone out there ever have those dreams where it's kind of like a twilight during the day? It's a different type of dream. That's pretty much all the time. My entire waking consciousness is kind of like a twilight. <laughs> and Corey's glowing and like sparkling. And so during this dream, twilight dream, um, John Lennon walks up to me and says, hello, mate, what's that? You know, and he points at my iPhone and I say, oh, John, it's an iPhone. You know, and I start explaining uh, technology today. And he's really interested. And I'm explaining technology to him. And it kind of fizzles. He fizzles up. And I wake up. And this entire novel starts coming into my head. What if John Lennon, through time travel, could appear in today's world? And so I run into my home here on the beach. I'm on the beach now. Okay. Run into my home. And I start writing this novel. And... Lo and behold, I finished this novel and I'm able to publish it. Uh, I think Benny knows about this. And so John I was able Lennon. to publish St. John Lennon. I see, how long how did it you... take you to write it? Like, what, how quickly did this happen? Well, it really took me about two years. I never wrote okay. it. And I hired uh, someone to be my ghostwriter, which was this uh, lovely woman, uh, Roseanne Botone. I actually met her on the beach and became her health coach. And so... Uh, uh, she knew, knew how to write and, and put things together right. And I was going to have her as my ghostwriter, but she did such a good job. I put her as my co-writer on the book, too. She's an awesome woman. Give her a big credit. And so 
I write this book, you know, what if John Lennon all of a sudden appears in 2020? What does he do? Of course, he's in an Apple he commercial because you're explaining an iPhone to him. <laughs> so like, of course, like if anybody's going to get John Lennon, it's going to be Apple. And then he's going to be going, why is this only an, like, an iPhone 4? Like, don't you have the 20 at this point? Like, explain it to me, Dan, except with his obviously nice English accent. Well, I, you guys can give me some help on this because I'm still writing advanced stories of this. WWJD. What would John do? Huh? What would John Lennon do? All right? You like that one, huh? You know, what would he do? Of course, he has a Beatles reunion. He goes on Bill Maher. He goes head-to-head -head against Hannity on Fox News. He meets with Trump, you know, stops him from doing something. You know, and there's so many different stories. Uh, but there's so many things. I think of things every day. If John Lennon... Does he strap, does he strap Yoko Ono to a tree when Trump is trying to, like, bulldoze it down? And then she just dies for the cause. Think of it this way. If we could all time travel, what would we do? I was thinking today, if, if John Lennon was time traveling and he's, you know, a hundred years from now and he's driving his space car out in space and he runs into David Bowie and they start fooling around and David Bowie looks at him and, and sings, ground control to major John. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like if he was in space, they'd clearly like find ace freely the space ace and they'd have to go meet up with beth you know and it would just be all over you know right it's been a and long we, time we could write more stories like that that of is course. an original logo bazooka shirt like that is like that's the bumper sticker that was on every car in massachusetts so people if you're not on um the youtube to win like dan Corey, is it fair well, to say Well, first they have to see him without the shirt, and is, then they have to see the to shirt say, going on. Is it fair to say, uh, Corey and Siobhan, that Dan is um, still Danimal? <laughs> <laughs> got a, got a well, vibe. Yeah, well, you obviously look great and, uh, you know, are really into health. What, what prompted, going back a little bit, what prompted the move to Florida specifically? Was it because of your interest in, like, healthy outdoors, or what, was it some sort of business thing, or what, what, was, what was that all about? Well, Siobhan, let me say you look great, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> she works and out every fucking day. I know. I've been down <laughs> to where she is. She works She works out. She's like, oh, I'm just getting up to work out for the 17th time in the last eight hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I'm not that extreme. Once a day. Yeah, once a day. Today, I ran five miles down the beach with weights in my hands. That's awesome. You know, at times, and I'll skip and I'll go to a gym. Uh, on the next day and, and that type of thing. What made me move down here really was I met a gentleman in uh, St. Bart's and he said, hey, come on down to Florida and visit and uh, come on down to my house on the intercoastal. And I was visiting him until one day he said, you know, you should get yourself a little condo down here at some point too. And one came up for sale and I was able to get down here. And I live on a, a beautiful stretch of old A1A, not even A1A. All day one a where there's no cars on the road. And yeah, that's awesome. I feel like you're. You just told me you lived in in outer space, and I kind of believe that story more than living on one <laughs> a. Like I thought you were hanging out with David Bowie and talking about ground control with John Lennon, and I was with you. I was following you and in your space car with John Lennon. Did now let me ask you: Does it have right hand drive or left hand drive? I believe it was a no drive. Oh, so it drove. It's it's like a Tesla. Yes, or, or, you know, beyond Tesla now, way beyond. 
So, you know, think about what song would John sing back to him? Across mean, like, the uh, universe. Oh, you mean like, like an actual Beatles song he'd sing across yeah. the universe? I, I feel like he'd probably sing Billie Eilish. I feel like John Lennon would still be in the know and would be like, fuck, nobody wants to hear that goddamn song I played a million fucking times. Why don't I do something cool? And he'd do something like Johnny Cash where he'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, 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 cover I'm covering Travis Scott. And then every Beatles fan would moan and then he'd have like the number one song. He'd be like Billy Ray Cyrus with Lil Nas coming out with a whole line of books because he came out with a stupid song. I think you're right. And Siobhan, to go back to you, Siobhan, uh, you know, once I got down here, I started, you know, working on different things and consulting for other festivals and other bands and doing uh, a little bit of, you know, management here and there. Um, it just kind of was dipping my toe in the water. Happening to write the book, St. John Lennon, I had uh, the luck enough to get invited backstage uh, by Ringo Starr. And, you know, not only do I meet a Beatle, I give him my book that I write about a Beatle. So how, how bucket list is that? Dan, I, you want to know how bucket list it is? Tell that to Bruce Mittman, because here's a true story I'm going to tell you that you'll appreciate. Because Ernie Bach invited me to go see Ringo Starr. And I actually have a, a, a signed picture that Ringo did because he's an artist that he raised for charity. Um, and I got to go walk into the box center ahead of time and we're getting to see like the Sergeant Pepper's jacket and we're seeing all of his art. We're in there before everybody. And uh, Bruce keeps going up to Ernie. He goes, dude, I got to meet Ringo. I got to meet Ringo. I got to meet <laughs> oh, Ringo. Yeah. I got to meet Ringo. I got to meet Ringo. I got to meet Ringo. And I said, I don't care. And uh, I I'm down there and I'm playing piano because they actually had a piano there. And I, I said, Ernie, can I play the piano? He goes, yeah, sure, whatever. So I'm playing piano and then Ringo Starr walks in. He's got his fucking handlers and shit. And they all walk around and he like strategically, oh yeah, yeah, he's got the, yeah, every, like does this. And he looks surprisingly <laughs> like perfect. He's in amazing shape. He's his little thing, like kind of sprites around and then leaves. And then anyone who bought $5,000 worth of art got to take a picture. I bought $4,000 worth of art. Bruce bought $4,000 worth of art. So I said, Bruce, why don't we like combine our art and then tell them like, can we take half a picture? And he wasn't into this idea. He said, no, Ernie is, his name is on the building. He can get me in this picture. And I was never more excited to not be in a picture because Ringo Starr, I don't care how big you think you are, if you're Johnny Depp, if you're the fucking president, Ringo Starr's on a different level. Bruce got nowhere near Ringo Starr. Nowhere near. And in fact, Ernie got so upset that apparently they banned him from the box center for an entire year to let him know you follow the rules with Ringo Starr. <laughs> oh my God. I believe uh, Ernie Bach's quote was, uh, "It's e he's had an easier time meeting the last four presidents than meeting Ringo Starr. <laughs> He didn't meet him. Yep. He literally got like came in and Ringo Starr gave him the Mick Jagger treatment where he like yeah. th like you pay fifty thousand dollars and like he, he's like oh yeah I'm gonna make a peace sign in your area and then walks <laughs> off and they're like oh you're in Metallica and they don't even take a picture with you. That's a true story. Metallica are backstage waiting for fifty grand to meet like I think Rolling Stones and they like didn't even recognize him or something. Maybe I'm I making that up. I don't know. I thought it was the coolest thing because I actually went, uh, I have a friend here. He's the drummer for Iron Maiden. His name is Nico McBrain. Clyde Nico lives, right down, Nico lives right down the street here. I gotta come hang Nico? out where you are. I'm in Miami and there's Wait, no you know rock Nico musicians McBrain? there. You're friends with Nico McBrain? Nico took the picture of Ringo and I. 
you know? Shut and up! Then and what? then we are hanging out, hanging, you know, I always thought Todd is God, okay? And there's Todd Rundgren hanging out, you know, all of Ringo's band is there. And it was just so fun. And he, you know, he took my book, he looks at it, and I explain it to him, he goes, yeah, that's a, a very cool pre a premise. That's a great premise, you know? And uh, he was really nice about it. He was just a gentleman to me. So it was that's fun amazing. because we got to spend a little time with him. And that was good. I probably, you know, this should lead to this shirt. Wait a minute, I'm changing shirts again here. Guys, guys tune into YouTube if you're <laughs> well, not I on YouTube right flex. now. If you're not I on YouTube. flex. All right, I will not flex. <laughs> He's just flexing that he was hanging out with Ringo. Ringo invited him. Bruce Mittman, are he you listening? He will physically flex. <laughs> hey, is, is Mittman listening? Because he, he, he didn't get to meet him. I didn't know if you knew that. I should put on my Beatles shirt if we're going to talk about a Beatle. So let me explain this. I'm on tour around the world. New York, Chicago, London, Sweden, Liverpool. And I'm going to Beatles festivals, signing and lecturing on my book. And I'm scratching my head going, what's wrong with this picture? Why are there no Beatles festivals in Florida? The demographic is great. Well, there's so the many cockroaches. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the, the weather is great. Okay. And I look up at the sky and I go, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so. Was I that Stu up, Sutcliffe from the grave <laughs> yelling down at you? Or is that, was that John Lennon? <laughs> probably a mixture of it was come George. on give me some credit for knowing who Stu Sutcliffe was come on a little bit <laughs> of course it, it pretty is good he in your book pretty good for your <laughs> Ben no we're never gonna get to the end of this story <laughs> have you seen the show Siobhan <laughs> so, you've been here for every moment of it <laughs> so I ended up in two, 2019 putting on the first ever Beatles on the Beach Festival where we take over all of Delray Beach and put on a massive Fab Four festival. It went over so well. I had a full orchestra playing Beatles music. I flew in Edgar Winter, you know, he's part of Ringo's troupe for years. Um, I have another story about Edgar Winter in a minute. Great guy, and I've known him for, since I was 11, okay? And so all the restaurants and all the bars get involved. We have Beatle bands from Brazil, the Brazilian Beatles, the Japanese Beatles, the Swedish Beatles, the Norwegian Beatles. They all fly Was there in. like a battle of the Beatles bands? It wasn't a battle. Was there it like was a just, better George? Like Was like the George Harrison from Japan like getting mad at like the Swedish George Harrison? Honestly, it was like this. It was that camaraderie of musicians and people loving each other, just going, this is freaking great, man. And a whole town turning into Beetleville. And everybody loved it. Completely sold out for the first year. Okay? This past year, I had it. How many people like how many people were there, Dan? Because I mean 10, you put on great ten thousand Beetle Maniacs. <laughs> ten thousand people. And it was outstanding. Ran for four days Flew in Tony Bromwell, who was the CEO of Apple Records, to give lecturing. He did a great job. The guy who cut the Beatles' hair talked about cutting the Beatles' hair. So let me let me ask you how do you how do you plan something like this? Because I'm curious as a musician. A lot of musicians don't understand how to plan anything. We just know how to play music. So how did you structure, you know, like putting on this festival from concept to reality? It, it's a, it's a great question. So I had to you know jump through some hoops 
But I was experienced in that, Siobhan, sure. where we were producing festivals in municipalities in the past where I had to go to some of the politicians and ask them, hey, would you like to get involved? I think because I said the Beatles, I never ran into anybody that said, we don't like the Beatles. You know, if I said, you know, it's a, a hardcore rap fest, I think right. I would have turned down. Interesting. Okay. Um, but uh, I was able to go to each and every establishment and get them involved. So the city itself got excited saying, with a ticket, you not only get to see the big bands at the pavilion, but you got to see all kinds of bands everywhere on the streets, in the bars. And if you went into the first bar, you get a free beetle beer. The next place, you get a free magical mystery margarita. The next place, a strawberry fields forever. So it's like a takeover of the whole town. Right. In I'll essence, it, yeah. The mini golf place completely outdid it and turned it into magical mystery mini golf. So wait, it if you outdid. were in second place at the mini golf place, would you be the Pete second best? <laughs> <laughs> Siobhan, that was, this, that was the drummer for the Beatles before they kicked him out. And in mm -hmm. fact, if you know about the Liverpool years... There was a lot of people that believed that because George in particular, but George and John were a little bit jealous of Pete Best because he was like the womanizer. He got all the chicks like there were girls that were showing up that they fired him from the band because he was in the band for two years with the Beatles. And mm -hmm. then Brian Epstein being the heartless, soulless manager that knows I need to make this happen, says, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to get the clown that is Ringo. I'm going to bring that dude in. I'm going to kick this professional drummer out because they didn't get Ringo because he was good. Have you heard those records? It's not because he was like better than Pete Best because Pete Best was a really freaking good drummer. But he got along with all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. But I thought that that was really crazy to hear because girls actually showed up in Liverpool with signs even before all this was happening saying how upset they were that Ringo was in the band. Interesting. Right, right, Dan? So let me go, since you're mentioning Ringo again, let me go back to Edgar Winter, who played with Ringo for years. So Edgar Winter band. Was, let, 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 let me just say this. This is such an incredible story. I was 11 years old. My two older brothers decide to bring me to see my favorite band ever, the Edgar Winter Group. And Ronnie Montrose is on guitar with them, okay? And I'm like, I love Montrose. I love the Edgar Winter group. Love the whole thing about it. Frankenstein had just come out. You know, they only come out at night. You know, free ride, all of it. I probably wore, wore off that album. I'm 11 years old. It's Worcester Polytechnical Institute. They bring me to see them. There's an opening act called Ramatam. And you can look up Ramatam, okay? And I it's was not a drummer. Ram Jam. Black Betty, no. Bam the Lamb. Whoa, Black Betty, Bam the Lamb. Oh, that's that, that's <laughs> Ram. It's Bamatam, but not Ram Jam. But not Black Betty, Bam the Lamb. Listen, Black Betty is now banned. You can't even sing that song. I'm just bummed out that they're banning these things when it's just, you know, let it be in the past. We've learned from the past, and that's cool. And, you know, why would they actually ban Neil Young? Why? You know, or Bugs Bunny, dude. For the song Southern Man, they actually, they, you can't play it. Listen, in my book, we are all one at all times. So let me go back to Edgar Winter. Yes. What? Just for Siobhan, since you don't really care, Ben. I always care. <laughs> he has his own monologue going the whole time. It's fine. <laughs> so, so there I am, 11 years old, uh, Ramatam's playing, and the drummer 
is the drummer for Jimi Hendrix, Mitch Mitchell, okay? They get off stage. A bunch of us kids, you can just go backstage back then. There's no security really, okay? 1972, all right? We all bunch of kids go back, and there's Mitch Mitchell. We, we meet him. He gives me a drumstick, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You know, we go back out in front, and, you know, on comes Edgar Winter Group, you know, all glammed out, his giant cape. They just rocked it out unbelievably. I mean, they, they were just such a cool glam band, too, the Edgar Winter Group, and rocking. So they rocked it. And so there they are. They play their set. We go backstage again. Easily, there's Edgar, and he has a beer in his left hand, a schlitz, and he's shaking every kid's hands, and he hands me a beer, okay? That might be where it started. So he hands me a beer, and I run off with that beer, and I save that schlitz can forever, forever. Fast forward, you know, 10, 20 years later, I book him at the fishing game club. And I set up a, a, our trailer for him. And I go back and I say, is Edgar here? Yeah, he's inside. He's alone. Just go in. Go and have a great conversation. I tell him the story. I was, you know, he gave me a beer when I was 11. And he looks me in the eyes. He goes, I'm so sorry. I said, it's okay. You know, I've been clean and sober now for five, six years. To this day, even this time when he came around, he looks at me, he goes, hey, he calls me Danimal. Danimal, still got that Schlitz can, you know, <laughs> so funny, so funny. But, um, you know, I got to have this Beatles festival, did a great job with it. I'm going to be doing more with that. But I've, you know, even moved on to doing more things. I believe in the unity of all of us. We are all one at all times. Damn it! I wish I could remember that at all times. You know, when are we talking in like a transcendental way? Are we talking in a Baruch Spinoza way? Are we talking in like a Leibniz way? Like what? What? Like it, when you when you're this way, I have to remember I'm you. I am you, and you are me. So, what is the one true thing? Or are we just that, modes that, of the one true thing? One true thing is just where, listen. When I get my ego up, I have to remember. Looking at a picture, a guy was uh, putting on a seminar, and it was a picture the Hubble telescope took. And I looked, I went, look at all those planets. And he looked at me and he said, those aren't planets. Those are solar systems. So if my ego gets up, I have to remember I'm a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck infinity. Okay? I'm just like a speck. For me, my super ego beat the shit out of my ego, and then my id just sit there like it is hanging out. It was like, fuck this smoke. Ben, cigarette. you're alienating all, all of our listeners right now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought that that was a pretty funny super ego versus ego joke. Like, whatever. I was going to take it. <laughs> bring it back to Pearl Jam because he wrote a song called What Is It? So to bring it back, you know what? You know, I have to change my shirt back again. Oh, okay. Here we go. back to the YouTube right I now. Flex. Time. I won't flex. So, Corey does that course. actually a lot of shows, but he usually edits it out. But like, I think this time, Corey, you should keep it in. What? Take my shirt when off? When you do this, you, t- you, you change what? shirts a lot of time in Constantly, between episodes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Siobhan, Corey, I know Corey has questions too here. But Siobhan, <laughs> since you're into health and wellness, you know, uh, you know, one of the things I just believe in is helping people out, of course. 
So, you know, I try my heck to do that all the time. And when I created United We Rock, it was years ago and Benny was there. Yeah, right after 9-11. 9-11. And we basically said, uh, wow, you know, I got called by the radio station, WAAF. We love them. And they basically said, hey, Daniel, our headliners canceled. What are you gonna, you're going to cancel this, right? This was on a Tuesday, 9-11. Our show is on the weekend, Benny. And you're going to cancel, Disturb cancel, Kitty cancel, Booyah cancel, all these bands cancel, you know? I said, I'm not canceling. I still have like 50 bands playing. Are you mm -hmm. nuts? Well, they're not going to let you have this. Well, we, you know, went back and forth and they, they said to me, Danny, you get up here on the air and you tell our people, our audience that you're not canceling. So I go up to uh, the station get up there and I get on the microphone and I say, Hey, listen, people, we don't want them to win. We don't want them to shut down everything that we're doing here. I want everyone out there to show up with an American flag, show your support, you know, for our troops and our people and what we're doing, you know, rock and roll, you know, doesn't die united. We rock. And I dubbed it right there and, you know, and started working it. And, you know, it was, a, it was 15, 15,000 kids showed up with American flags. I said, if you want, if you want a refund, we'll give you a refund. 12 people asked for a refund. Wow. Yeah. What I was so, going to say is during that time, I, rem I, I remember obviously, cause you know, we were going to play, my band was going to play. Like everyone was looking forward to the show and then nine 11 happens. And like, what do you say to that? And you know, uh, there's a lot there's a whole generation now that like wasn't alive i know that's or, or, amazing or, to think or, about or that yeah aware of what what happened whereas like i knew people and i have friends that were greatly impacted by it and i remember exactly where i was i know that biohazard one of the bands that came and played and saved the, saved the day actually had a, 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 an album which we talked about with dan um beck that was scheduled to be released that day in fact dream theater had released a live album from New York with the Twin Towers on it burning that morning. So yeah, the, that when they had that concert for everybody, like the whole nation didn't know what to do. I mean, this was like the first crazy, like really, really horrific thing. Like, this, well, there's so many horrific things, but this was like, it stopped the world. So we needed music so, so badly then. So to think that not only this happened, but then man, none of these bands get to play. We don't get to like, a lot of bands, this was like the height of what we were ever going to do. You know, you're in a local band. This is the Al Bundy throwing the, the awesome touchdown, like for a lot of these bands, you know, they get to play. So first off, all these bands canceled, but then we got Biohazard to step up. They came down because they're like, we'll get in a bus. We'll drive from New York. Henry Rollins who's one of my favorite people on the planet, who's one of the what greatest speakers, or orators. He's like, and he'll, he talks about, you know, I go to war-torn countries, I walk around, I shake hands. He was like, I'm getting on a bus, I'm showing up, I'm gonna go on stage. And I remember I actually tried to go say hello to him beforehand, and he was like stampeding around like a bull. And like, they're like, don't talk, don't even look at Henry. Cause like, he has to get into like the Rollins band thing. Cause I was like fascinated with his personality, but like the Rollins band and then the orator, are two set it's like Dana Banna versus you know fucking the Hulk, so uh, but United We Rock really I think in Boston saved a lot of people's sadness and like helped everyone come together because you just saw a sea 
of, of American flags. You saw people hugging each other and everyone was rocking. It was an amazing show where everyone got to rock. Everyone was psyched. We got to play local music, but also show camaraderie around Boston and for our armed forces. It was pretty freaking amazing. And I've taken it to new levels now where I have so much energy now with what's happening. Okay. There's more. So much energy where, you know, right now I'm having some networking events with musicians, artists, businessmen, all kinds of people. I have some acoustic people playing. I do benefits and charities. This is during COVID. Okay. I've had four concerts so far during COVID that have had over 300 people at it. Okay. Certainly we are socially distanced and everyone has to wear a mask. Okay. But, um, you know, we do the best we can to put things on. But United We Rock is something that I really want to push forward, not just with music, but with humanity. We have to help each other and, you know, get involved, just like you're doing with your new project. And you guys are all in this project. And that just thrills me to death. Corey, is that where you're supposed to put in the tag? Put in the tag. <laughs> what, what is he talking about? Are we talking about Lost Symphony now or, or the podcast? Well, we <laughs> should project? first off tell everyone to subscribe. So if you have not subscribed, if there's ever a time after Dan has ripped off his shirt and changed his shirt for a third time, if that's not enough to get you guys to call in and pledge to WGBH and keep fucking, you know, uh, happy little trees happening. The, uh, the, the number of episodes that we have now released, produced and released, and this is the first time I believe we've ever asked anyone to subscribe to our show. <laughs> Yes. So our marketing department will be thrilled. <laughs> and then we're in the band Lost Symphony, lostsymphony.com. In fact, by the time this comes out, we probably will have announced chapter three, which is going to be a tribute for our fallen friend and Viking and uh, web slinging uh, axe man, uh, Ollie Herbert. Um, chapter three. It's going to be ridiculous. And uh, Siobhan, uh, listen, you know, people are like, well, what are you guys going to do? Well, we just had uh, Siobhan step it up. We keep yeah, I listened to the mixes today, so it's going to be we'll pretty We keep cool. having you play on things, and people are like, where are the violins? Because they don't realize what electric violin sounds like. And we're like, fine, whatever. So we, 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 we put up the violins in this one. Yes. I want to I see this violin player. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to well, stay tuned for chapter three. There yeah, lostsymphony.com. Plenty, plenty of content coming out over oh, the, uh, the, the coming months. Uh, but we're, we're actually coming up at the end of our first hour here. Well, no, listen, it was actually a great also- place to end, a really positive note. Well, this I, is I, the I, end. Ben, ben <laughs> says I wear a lot of shirts, but honestly, I wear a lot of hats. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's what I wear, a lot of hats. A lot of hats, okay? Did Robin Zander and Elton John I have a like a lot of a, hats? Go right? over to your house and <laughs> get really fucked up on cocaine? A lot of hats. You know, I, I, see, I, I see the influence that you had on Ben. I, can, I, I I'll just say. Send, <laughs> I want to send everybody. <laughs> what? What? Does Ben dress in drag also? <laughs> 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 Only Tuesdays. Come on. If he had United, access to those hats, he'd be wearing them as well. I promise you. United we rock I, I, forever, right, guys? <laughs> United, United we, we rock. rock, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Dan Hartwell. You've been twenty twenty. Stick around later this week. We're gonna have Dan, and we're gonna dive in even deeper into all the craziness. If you guys weren't sure where we are, we're fucking at Crazyville. You're welcome. Two zero two zero dash d dot com. Subscribe. Thank you once again for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. 
We get new ones coming out every Wednesday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 39 with Godsmack drummer Shannon Larkin. Check it out. You know, I was like, I stroked out in my late 40s from all the fucking headbanging and shit. And uh, I mean, literally had a stroke and was in the hospital. Oh my gosh, wow. I did. And so, and my doctors were like, you can't bang your head anymore like that and whatever, you know. You rocked way too hard, man. I was trying to, you know, put like sunglasses on on stage because I I just forget and start banging my head. Sure, yeah. It's like muscle memory, of course. Yeah. I still do, by the way. and, And it turned out that uh, I got a heart surgery. I had a hole in my heart. <gasps> and that was allowing these blood clots to slip through. And and then when a blood clot slips through and goes to your brain, like typically it goes through the four parts of your heart and it just dissipates the blood clot so that it doesn't go and hit your brain. If the blood clot gets through and hits your brain, it makes a stroke. Pow! So, you know, I was in my kitchen. Bang! It's like I felt <gasps> a home intrusion or something. You know, all of a sudden I... God felt like it loves a stroke. Man. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh, yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.